um, who are going through difficult trials in their life. Yeah, and it's it's that lesson of holding both together. Yes, I love that. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. Hello, friends. How are you doing? I know that you can't respond to me, but I hope that you would check in with yourself whenever I ask. I know that this episode is a week late, and to be honest with you, (laughs) I... I generally record on my days off, which are Monday and Tuesday. And last week I ended up getting my booster and it knocked me out for a day, which was unexpected. And then our lovely editor also got sick all the way in California. So we were just out of it last week. I know that some of you may have caught it, but I did make the announcement that at the end of February, we will no longer have any more episodes, which actually we have this episode with Danielle, one with Alana and one with Marcy. Those three episodes are going to be our last ones for the foreseeable future. To be completely honest and frank with you, I just can't afford it anymore. And, you know, I I work in the service industry, which means I work in hospitality, which means I make coffee for people and serve them dinner. So usually in the summer, things kind of tend to pick up and I'll get more hours and things like that. So hopefully by the summer, we'll be able to start over again. My husband and I talked about it and it is something that's just really important to me. It's a passion project for me. So however we can do it to make it happen, we want to. We do still have our Patreon. We do still have Buy Me a Coffee. If you never heard of Buy Me a Coffee, it's not an, a commitment. So if you want to hear another episode, if you want to be a part of this, really our episodes cost about $50 an episode. So if you wanted to buy me a coffee and just give $5, $1, whatever you can, um, it does add up. And, you know, maybe we can just do an episode at a time based on, <laughs> instead of committing to seasons based on buy me a coffee, um, we can just do one or two or however many. And whether you do Patreon, which is a monthly subscription, or you do buy me a coffee, which is just whatever donation you want to give, you do have access to our happy hour episodes, which me and my best friend just kind of get into the nitty gritty of our lives and talk a little bit more. I know that I don't really share as much about myself on here. And I, I don't know, I feel like I wanted to give myself that space um, and give her that space and it's been really fun. So all of that to say, if you want us around, you can keep us around. If you don't, well, then we'll be back probably in the summer when I can afford it by myself. <laughs> I like these conversations. Anyways, uh, I hope that you're having a wonderful day wherever you are. This week we have Danielle. She is a mother of five boys, which is so fun. Having a house full of boys would be insane. I grew up with a bunch of siblings, and we were not all boys, but boys made things way more fun. <laughs> so, yeah, she talks a little bit about her journeys with grief and, and her family, and it is a little bit of a unique take this week, so I hope that you all enjoy it. Without further ado, let's get into it. on the matchmaker site. Um, Was there something in particular that intrigued you that kind of attracted you to us? Um, I recently experienced a ton of grief. Um, We had our uh, 14-year-old child run away from home for almost 45 days. That was Mm. pretty devastating experience. Um, It did end in a, a little bit of a happier ending. We're able to, you know, have him return home um, very recently since the last time we spoke, actually. 
Um, but that was very traumatizing in some areas just because we've poured a lot of ourselves, you know, into our children. Um, he is one of four in our home and it is, uh, he's the middle child, the middle oldest child. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting to, you know, you go through all the stages of, okay, what did I do to, you know, make that, make that, make him make that choice? Um, was there something that I, you know, did wrong? Is there something I could do better? How is that affecting the rest of our household? Does our household feel safe or safe, not as safe because our one child is not here? So um, there's just a lot of things in and around those circles. Most of it is just being in the, with the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong situations. Um, mm-hmm. So things that we couldn't necessarily control within our home per se, but it mm-hmm. was something that we feel very strongly about, you know, in advocating conversations, constant communication. I'm an over communicator. Yeah. <laughs> My children will tell you. <laughs> yeah. So was there, any closure? I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really hard. Um, it Yes, there's some closure. I think, honestly, in the week, the two weeks before we thought he was just gone and we would never really see him again. Um, in those two weeks, that is when I was starting to make peace with the fact that, okay, I will always be a mom of four, but there's only three here. Mm. So that was what I was resonating with in those two weeks. Um, right before we got a phone call that he was picked up and detained and he actually spent a night in jail before he actually came home. Mm. So to hear that. it's hard. You don't, the innocence of children, right? The yeah. innocence of young people trying to find their way in the world. But some of us need a little extra push than others. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just grateful that he's actually had those experiences now. Many of them weren't so great either um, before he actually ended up in jail. But um, it's one of those situations where you have to kind of take it in that moment as is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's in the past is in the past. And hopefully tomorrow is a better opportunity for you and the child, you know, to make make amends in some areas. How old is he? 14. Okay. Really, really young, just figuring out the world. This particular, um, my son, um, is someone actually we adopted when he was three years old. He was Mm -hmm. also taken out of a very bad situation um, where his mother had, uh, biological mother actually had overdosed in front of him and he didn't really know what was happening. Mm -hmm. So it was very traumatic. Um, He remembers being in the back of the ambulance to this day, but he didn't didn't really understand why until he got much older. So Mm -hmm. obviously his mother passed and it was very, he was very young. He was four years old. And that's when we picked up the pieces and said we wanted to ensure that he had a, you know, a, a, a brighter future um, mm-hmm. from that point on. But again, you know, trouble finds trouble wherever you are. <laughs> Everybody yeah. has their moments. And this was just one of many hiccups that we kind of came across. And we definitely grieved him as if he was gone uh, or, mm-hmm. or had died um, when he left this home. So mm-hmm. that was definitely something I don't wish upon anyone, but um, life lessons. We all have our hurdles, our ebbs and flows, and I just embrace all of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, There's so many different ways that we can take this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. um, Maybe let's talk a little bit about um, 
like his siblings and what that was like to be grieving and also be parenting and mm-hmm. also be missing him. Mm-hmm. Yes, several times. Um, our, our, so our children range between 15 and 17 months old. <laughs> So we have a range of children. And I think, honestly, um, on the deepest level, the deepest bond is between the baby and and my son. Mm -hmm. So um, between those two, um, our son who had our 14 year old at the time who had run away, um, the deepest bond between them is really the 17. Our our youngest son, Theo, I can say his name, um, Theodore. And um, it was really hard. It was really, really hard because you could see even on the in, in just the day-to-day play, he's looking for someone that he can't see or find. Mm-hmm. I think in the first couple of weeks, it was, you know, maybe he's playing a game. And so he would go through the closets. Um, the toddler would go through. Um, he would go into the kitchen and look in all the nooks and crannies thinking yeah. that he was hiding. And I think over time, as babies, you know, develop, their memories aren't so great. Eventually, over time, it just kind of went away and he just realized, I'm going to go do something else. Um, Seeing that through the eyes of my children was very, very, that was also one extra layer of grief. Because not only are we grieving that he's gone, but now memories, the memory of him has left my toddler. He had to be reintroduced to him in some areas. Mm. Um, So that was really tough. That is really tough as a parent. Um, as our older children, my, old, my oldest son, Miles, <laughs> he actually um, uh, definitely didn't regret any of the actions that, you know, we had to take as parents to kind of, you know, fortify our home and our house and our and our family as a whole. Um, so, it, yes, I, w- I would want to say that he sort of missed him, but not probably for the right reasons. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> um, and then our second youngest um, son, all boys, um, Ellington, and he really had a time with it. I think he struggled the most because him and um, our son, Michael, actually left. They were the ones in the room together. They were the ones that were sharing a space. Um, so they were in bunk beds. Michael at the time was at the bottom. Ellington at the time was at the top. And there was many of times where he would wake up and our teenager would wake up in the middle of the night and smoke in the room while, the child, while my his brother was sleeping above his head. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of inappropriate, you know, behavior um, and exposure happening at the same time. So yeah. I feel like Ellington, in a lot of ways that we talked several times during the time that Michael was gone and Ellington mentioned multiple times that, you know, he abandoned me too. He didn't just leave this family, he abandoned me. Mm-hmm. And I think that resonated a lot with me as additional pressure as a parent to, you know, step up, conversate, um, allow them to emote, allow them to mm-hmm. feel their feelings. It's okay if you feel mad or upset. Um, things along those lines. A lot of times society doesn't allow young children to have those type of uh, windows of emotion. And I yeah. think it's just really important that we allow them, especially in a time of, of grief, um, to let them do that. Yeah, especially young boys. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When they're told to toughen up and be a man and whatever all those extra things mean, um, I want them to be human first. And I think that's what I push the most in places, uh, in times of grief, 
is, you know, feel your feelings. It's okay to be upset or angry or, you know, it's okay to say a curse word or two if you really feel <laughs> implied to do so because it sucks. It's a very sucky situation. But I do remind them always that at the end of the day, they're human and every human is not perfect. We all have flaws. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you guys gone to therapy at all? Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, I've already been seeing a therapist just in general, being a mom of four, being a business owner, um, all the things. So I, <laughs> that was just one more thing that I just needed to add onto my plate. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> just definitely bill me for that extra hour so I can get this out to you. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of where I was with my children. I'm so thankful that, um, school services were able to provide, um, a lot of additional therapy on site at school. So if they felt in the moment that, you know, they feel a lot of pressure for a test because all they're thinking about is wherever their brother may be, um, they were able to go to a safe place on site at their school location and speak to a counselor or a teacher or anyone who was really able to just sit and sit with them, um, for, for Ellington, my second youngest, um, it was definitely more of traditional conversations, taking him out for ice cream here or there, yeah. <laughs> helping him trying to, you know, soothe um, in some areas the things that felt like, you know, more intrusive to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've had multiple conversations since Michael has been home about just safety. You know, at one point and before he actually left, he was leaving out of our house in the middle of the night, 1230 in the morning, <laughs> mm. just to go hang out with friends when bedtime is 10. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, it's one of those situations where we all felt concerned. Like we changed the locks on our doors. We did a lot of extra things to ensure safety for our family, even after he left. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's a little bit different, but um, he still doesn't know the door code. <laughs> yeah. Michael still doesn't know the, the, the door code all the way. There's areas of our life that we still kind of um, fortify, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but time will tell. We're really big tellers of time. Yeah, it's rebuilding that trust. Mm-hmm. Um, how has he been since he's been home? quiet-ish. We had this weird period where he was very clingy to, um, well, actually, this comes from a previous conversation that we had, right? I would say like three weeks before he actually left our home, before he ran away, we kind of had a little bit of a a discussion. It wasn't arguing yet, but it was a discussion about, you know, I just want to wear all black and a hoodie. And if I want to wear a mask, I can wear a mask. And I'm just kind of like, actually, no, (laughs) I don't want you necessarily to, you know, walk around in all blacks in a neighborhood when you like to play outside after dark. That just kind of gives me all the mommy feels. And Mm -hmm. as a mom of multi-ethnic children, it is very important for me to, you know, make sure that they're safe in whatever Mm -hmm. way possible that I can. So, um, just seeing the onslaught of, you know, racial injustice, some of that justice is being met in current day. Yay. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, just in that time, that time period, he knew that that was probably not the best thing to do. So when he came home (laughs) here recently, um, he's been walking around in all black. Sometimes he wears a gator mask. I don't know if you know what that is. It's kind of close to a ski mask. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't cover down the, down the eyelids per se. And, um, it, yeah, I was, I let that slide for like the first uh, five days <laughs> that he was here. And then after that, I asked him very politely, hey, I need you to remove your hood. 
and I need you to remove your mask because um, you don't need that in the house. Um, things along those lines. And just recently, we got a notification from school that he doesn't need to be wearing it there either. So mm-hmm. I love that. I think that challenges him to conform in some areas. Um, again, he spent 40, almost 45 days just in this free zone of I can do whatever. I can drink whatever. I can sleep with whomever. I can <laughs> um, mm-hmm. all the things at a f- that 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So um Definitely a place where there's going to be a lot of healing over a long period of time. But um, when he expresses himself in that way, I have to kind of, you know, take it for what it is and then also decide how I want to react to it. So, yeah, yeah, that's so important to have that moment of like thinking about it instead of reacting to him. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you asked him why? He wants to wear those things? I have. And at first, it was more of a, because this is who I am kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how I want to express myself. And I um, I will say that before he had run away, he had really long, well, kind of long hair. And then it's kind of like shoulder length, um, really flat hair. And when we picked him up, he actually had a full haircut. Like all the hair was practically gone except in the front. And I was really shocked by that just because I was trying to figure out, like, did you go get your haircut? Did someone cut your hair? Did you, Yeah. <laughs> you know, things along those lines. But he just simply said, you know what? I just wanted, I wanted something different. I wanted, I do, I like my long hair in the front, but I didn't really want it all in the back. And it was just kind of, um, awakening to me that yes, he can still make choices for himself, even though that um, some of these lately have not been great choices, but Mm -hmm. he can still make choices for himself. So there's still a level of independence that he does desire and want for himself. So when we come back to wearing the the mask, there's just a level of independence that he feels like he's kind of entitled to, which in some areas he is. (laughs) But yeah, that's kind of where the response that I get from him is, this is my style. This is my choice. Hmm. And how have you changed through all of this or your parenting? Or- oh, man. Yeah. Um, definitely in areas I've been more hesitant, but I think overall what I've done dramatically is ask questions hmm. instead of jumping to the next thing or going from zero to 60 very quickly. Um, it's one of those situations where I just kind of stop and say, okay. When I say this, does that mean the same thing that you're thinking? (laughs) Just to make sure that we're all the same page. And then I kind of dive a little bit further into, uh, you know, maybe this is not the best way. A great example of this um, would be um, cell phone usage. So he is, Michael's technically under house arrest um, for a little while. And under house arrest, he's not allowed to obviously um, use any type of um, drugs or uh, drink any alcohol. He's not allowed to, um, he has to pass a series of drug tests on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another big part of it is um, no use of any type of instant mobile technology. So um, when we picked him up from the detention center, he already had a phone um, that we did not give him. And um, he was using that to communicate to um, other people in places that he has been before. And so we initially were told to take the phone. So we did that. And I intentionally told Michael that I had put it in one place when I actually put it in another. 
And we waited a couple of days. And by golly, maybe about four days after I told him that information, the phone was no longer in the place that it was. (laughs) So we had to figure out one did he actually take it? Um, I don't think our children, other children even knew it existed. Did he actually take it? And at that time, it was actually in my purse. So that means he went through my belongings to get it. Um, and if, if he did take it, um, you know, why? Um, when he was told not to from his caseworker, from his parents. And then, um, you know, what are the motives for that? <laughs> Yeah. You know, where is that coming from? So uh, we actually had a conversation with this caseworker, had a conversation with ourselves, um, myself and my husband. And it was one of those situations where uh, we allowed some part of transparency. So once we noticed that the phone was gone, we brought it up to his attention that, hey, we don't know where the phone is. Can you, you know, would you happen to know where it is? In a very chill manner. And um, he's, Completely lied. <laughs> mm-hmm. He did not specify. He didn't say anything really. Um, he just swore up and down he didn't have it. And so once we um, gave him the ultimatum that if he did not turn over the phone, he would actually lose all of his tech and his ability to go outside under a curfew. Um, he very quickly changed his mind. And he said, well, if I find it and put it in a place that you know where it is, will I, will I still be able to go outside? Mm. And hours later, there it was, turned up on my bed, which was completely the opposite of where I would normally put it. But um, it turned up. And all I said was, good job. I knew you could do it. And we went on. I could have very easily turned that into a (laughs) 45-minute life parable. I want to grill you out. Why are you acting this way? I could have done all those things. But none of that would have helped to start this bridge of trust if he's going to remain here. Yeah. So yeah, just kind of picking and choosing my battles. It's hard, but it's doable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's brave to, Mm -hmm. um, I guess from my perspective, it, it seems pretty vulnerable to kind of relinquish a little bit of power as a parent. Oh yeah. I, yes. Overall, I mean, just in, with children overall, but yes, uh, specifically in this case where this person has burnt all the bridges, he mm-hmm. said all the wrong things, <laughs> he did all the wrong actions, and yet, you know, in some ways it feels like I have to still, you know, bite my tongue in some areas. I still have to sit on my hands in some areas. I still have to, you know, be patient, and that really just comes from um, depending on where you are, uh, for us, it's a matter of faith value. Um, so we put a lot of um, emphasis on our faith, especially over this past few weeks. And it's just been really helpful for us to come together as a family, even with all the broken pieces and still say, you know, we can still do this together. Hmm. That's beautiful. Um, what has this grief or grief in general taught you about vulnerability? Oh, goodness. It's, hmm. in general, it's taught me that I am more of a guide than an authoritarian. And that really depends on what parenting style you have grown up with or you've had or you mm-hmm. administered to your own family. 
but I have definitely come more into a mental mind state. And that comes not only from this level of grief with my teenager, but um, also experiencing, you know, multiple, multiple miscarriages, stillborn daughter, um, that when we are more of a steward and more of a guide um, to help people pass through, if you will, (laughs) um, that becomes much more of a humbling experience for the traveler and the host. And um, that's really how um, my vulnerability has taken shape over the past, at least the past five years. Um, Before um, our teenage son ran away, we uh, were grieving our um, stillborn daughter, Ella Jo, um, who was born, what, three years ago? (laughs) And um, it was very, very hard. Um, We had been trying for a child for many, many years, my husband and I. And we just kept hitting wall after wall, miscarriage after miscarriage. And finally, we had this gleam of hope um, with Ella Jo. Um, But she did pass at 21 weeks. And uh, unfortunately, we were so far along in that pregnancy, I did have to birth her naturally. And that was very also, um, you know, very much of a a touch spot for me because I literally grieved um, for three days prior to actually giving birth to her. But it was also a moment of, again, that vulnerability. I'm submitting myself to the idea that even though I did not get to finish this race, I got to experience this race. Hmm. And I got to experience something just for a little while, even if it wasn't all the way through, I got to have that for a little while. And that to me is the more honorable thing um, to kind of hold on to in those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. It's so beautiful. Um, Are your three eldest sons adopted? No. So (laughs) all birth children. So we're a very blended family. (laughs) Um, So I have uh, my oldest son, Miles, um, Ellington, and Theodore. So all of those are birth children of mine. Now they all have different fathers. So that's a very different situation. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband has been a father to all of my children since probably my eldest was four. So he still is very much dad, you know, dad, dad at home. But each of them have their own experiences of experiencing their father's families and their fathers um, outside of our home. So and and very much on different schedules. That's another level of grief, right? (laughs) There's some holidays where it's like, I want my children all together, but I can't because I have to share my children. So and that is, too, something that I have, you know, definitely grieved over. Usually the holiday season is missing at least one child for most of the activities. Um, But we have also kind of, you know, revolved that and kind of winged it on our side by making Mm -hmm. uh, holiday experiences not on the day, but holiday experiences overall. And that's been very helpful in us um, and very helpful for me to not feel so um, necessarily sad as other people are celebrating in the moment on the day. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a blended family as well. And my stepdad... And my mom got married when I was four. And we mm-hmm. would do um, Christmas Eve with my mom and Christmas Day with my dad. Yes, very similar. Yeah. 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 And it's it really is helpful to like establish that. Mm-hmm. At, like growing up, it was like, okay, this is what we're doing. And it was always special. It was always meaningful for both sides of the family. And yes. 
I don't think we lacked at all, which is, it's so cool to hear that that's how y'all do it as well. Mm-hmm. It's so important. I mean, these are parts of our children. Yeah. Um, and if we really love our children, we'll love all of our children, not just the pieces we hold on to. Yeah. And I think it's really important that um, we establish some sort of relationship. It doesn't have to be, you know, beers in the backyard and barbecue all the time, but mm-hmm. it could definitely be, you know, at least a very mutual funda- foundational relationship to where you can at least communicate and celebrate um, your yeah. child together. Um, one of the big things I had as the children were growing up when they were younger, you know, they're older now, kind of teenagers, so they don't want to have parents around anyway. But um, the younger kids, when they were younger, we always included every side of the family to be involved in celebrations. And that was really important, even if it's just, you know, a band concert, or even if it's just, you know, they got their stripes at karate or something along those lines. We wanted to make sure that all family was represented in those moments. I can't make them do that, but I can at right. least invite them to that conversation and into that space. And right. so I choose to be that type of, um, I choose to be that type of person. Hmm. Yeah. And that takes a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of different relationships, a lot of conversations. That's so much energy. To maintain. It, you're right. It absolutely is. And sometimes it's easier to just, again, like back out of that altogether and be like, nope, this mm-hmm. is my part. This is the part I want to claim. We do have parents that are on that level, but we also have parents that are, I want to be involved. You know, yeah. how else can I be a part of my child's life outside of just the weekends or outside of just the holidays? How else can I be involved? And so we appreciate both um, on either level, but I think it benefits the child the most um, even in their grieving processes when they're not able to be home when they want to be home um, to, you know, communicate and coordinate with, with all the parents that love that child. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about you. Um, Cause we've been talking about you as a mother, mm-hmm. um, but I want to hear a little bit about, you before you were a mother and how that's kind of informed how you walk through this life. Oh yeah. I can definitely speak a little eons on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I often refer to myself and my children laugh at me when I say it, but I often refer to myself as a reformed harlot. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's what I was (laughs) before, before I had my, uh, my oldest son, I had my oldest son when I was 21. I was not allowed to drink. Um, even, even because I was pregnant, like there's a lot of experiences that I felt like I kind of missed the rites of passage on because Mm -hmm. I was, um, putting myself out there in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think really the biggest part about myself was, you know, I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to write, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. Um, I kind of was in this mindset of, um, for people who are big, you know, who are old enough to remember, I wanted to be like the next black Katie Couric. Like that's what I wanted Mm. to do. And, um, journalism was my jam. And I was already in college um, on a scholarship for journalism at Western Kentucky University. And one of the top journalism schools in the nation, let alone the world. And I was so proud 
to continue in my mother's, um, my mother's family, a lot of them had graduated also from that college. So I was kind of fulfilling two great passions at a time, I felt like. And uh, slowly I kind of drifted away from the written word and got closer to designing. And that's where my passion for graphic design and being an entrepreneur came from. So I didn't feel too scary about pivoting. And I think that was a a great example for how I was able to become a parent that pivoted a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I felt very comfortable um, just standing in my own skin. Um, But I will say getting to that point, you know, being young in general, you just don't know. And a lot of times you look for the examples to kind of make sure it's okay to do something different. And I was not that person. <laughs> so I was very much more of your, you know, your average Adaria walking around college campus and um, just trying to figure it out one day at a time, but appreciating every step that I made because it was something different. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like parenting skills kind of picked up and, and kicked in um, once Miles was born because um, it was so easy and I was very accustomed to working in and around children. I also want to preface that with my family is swole. I really mean that in all the best <laughs> ways. So my dad's one of 13 and my mom's one of 10 or nine, excuse me, oh, nine. And so it's one of those situations where I grew up with a ton of family. I just grew up with lots and lots of cousins and we would go on play dates and we'd go to the park. There wasn't a time that I really wasn't alone alone. <laughs> Until I got much older because I was surrounded by family all the time. So it just kind of came naturally to me that when I started having children that, you know, I was so accustomed to the big family life. I didn't necessarily want to replicate that, but I knew that my (laughs) oldest son was not going to be the only one. Um, Yeah. Yeah, on the opposite end, his his father is the only child. So it's really kind of funny to kind of see that, you know, comparison and and, and stark contrast between the two. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, so how did you find your footing? By trial and error. Lots and lots of trial. Little error, mostly just trial. <laughs> it's <laughs> one of those things where you just kind of go through one season after another season. And then when you feel like the floor footing is getting kind of solid, something picks it right back up again. Um, I will say that my meeting my husband... My, my then random person, <laughs> um, I think he was the one that kind of gave me the solidification to step out and be proud of more of myself uh, and be more proud of the experiences that I had and pushing those intentions into our kids. Um, that was something that I feel like, okay, I can do this. Like, it's not so crazy. Yes, people look at us weird. Sometimes people think that I'm the nanny and not the mom. That's okay. Um, <laughs> we've had uh, a couple different instances where, you know, random people would come to the store and say, there's a random child holding on, walking with this random, my husband is white. I should preface that. Um, so <laughs> there's a husband, you know, this, a white male walking with your child. Do you know that? Is that okay for you? <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of have to remind them. Yes. Yes. It's perfectly fine. He loves his dad. He loves to climb on his dad. It's perfectly okay. Um, Thing moments like that that you just don't see coming, but you appreciate them and you use them as as lessons to kind of help your kids see past maybe boundaries or borders that people had up for themselves. Um, so I kind of use it as teaching lessons as much as I possibly can. 
But those are things that, again, um, have helped me be a stronger person um, in and out my life. Hmm. Um, can you pinpoint a moment where you feel like things changed for you? Oh, well, there definitely, um, Elijo probably definitely like pivoted a lot in the way that I want my, my children to appreciate life, um, to appreciate me as a woman. Um, mind you, I'm the only woman in a house full of boys, <laughs> mm-hmm. including my husband. So it's one of the situations where not everyone's going to understand what it's like to carry life for 20 weeks and then all of a sudden not carry life for 20 weeks. How do you explain that to growing aging boys who are just going through puberty? Um, And that was very difficult because in a lot of ways still, you know, my children recognize Ella, but they don't see Ella. Mm. And so that's very also a grieving point. I see Ella. I see Ella every day. Um, Ella Jo is named after my grandmother and the lady of song, Ella Fitzgerald. And mm-hmm. as you notice, there may be a theme of my children's names, a Miles, an Ellington, a Michael Ray, mm-hmm. um, a Theodore Parker. So we have um, a theme of this improvisation of jazz. And um, a long time ago, I won't say when, but I used to improvise. I used to be a scat singer, if you know what that is. Scatting is yeah, really a lot of fun. And I used to do a lot of that in my younger days in college, just as a personal practice of music. I grew up a lot with music. My mother was a choir director, and she still is one. (laughs) So we grew up a lot with secular music in our home. And, you know, as an adult, that's one thing I didn't pass on to my kids was this gift of music Um, until much later. um, I will still see my oldest son um, bop here or there. Um, (laughs) It wasn't until Ellington discovered band that he wanted to play trumpet. And I said, yes, I named you correctly Um, (laughs) that he wanted, you know, perfect. Ellington wants to play trumpet. And so he plays that now. Um, But I had to go through clearly multiple generations before I got to that point. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, just to kind of give that, you know, phrase of understanding that, you know, my life is improvisation is improvisational jazz. That's really the, the attitude that I walk in with parenting, um, that life is this infinite ongoing process. There's not a stop. There's not a finish. It's just ongoing. It's just infinite. And mm-hmm. so what I can do, um, is either, you know, add a couple more treble clefs, add a couple more <laughs> rests here or there mm-hmm. along my musical journey. And so that's kind of how I have chosen to parent my kids in this way. Um, after Ella Joe, I decided to take several steps back and really reevaluate the scope and range of the composition of music that I wanted to play. Hmm. What are... Um because you mentioned some intentions earlier that you kind of bring into your parenting. What are some of those things? Um, So intentions, definitely, um, again, asking questions. That's the one, number one, Um, just to make sure people are on different brain waves and links all the time. So I always want to make sure that we're on the same page. So I over-communicate. That's my intention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Definitely listen. Um, that was something that I definitely have grown and more intent about. 
Um, I just want to listen. Sometimes it looks like I'm not listening because mommy's either at the computer or I'm working on something or I'm folding clothes or I'm doing a quick bang of dishes, Mm -hmm. things along those lines. Um, But I'm listening. And I wanted to make a harder effort to listen to them so that they feel like they're being heard. Um, Another good intention is family time. So the first, what, three days that Michael Ray came home, I actually told him, like, specifically, you know, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you want to be here. And let's go play some Uno. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we do family game nights on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And that's a tradition we normally keep during the holiday season. This was the first time ever, because Michael Ray wasn't here, that we did not do family game night, not a single day. Mm-hmm. I was so much in a deep, emotional, darker place for myself. And it wasn't toward the end, until the end of the holiday season that I was starting to feel brighter in that season, in that space. Um, and once he came home, we just made it more official yeah. <laughs> with let's just play some games. Like, let's just keep this live, this liveliness going. So um, we played, I think last Sunday was the first time we played um, Uno and Sorry and, you know, Connect Four and mm-hmm. uh, Monopoly um, together as a family in like 40, 30 some days. It was hard. It was really hard trying to get through being joyful about, you know, Christmas and holiday seasons when, you know, there's not a, there's a stocking missing, you know, it's kind of it's really difficult. So when a holiday season is all about that family time and you're not able to really put in the family time, um, it definitely took its toll. But that was one of the intentions that we really wanted to make sure that Michael understood when we came back into our home was this is sacred time. This is our family connect time. Um, this is our way of reaching out and telling you that you are loved without literally saying the words. Mm, yeah. Keeping that place for him. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Oh, I am like so impacted by the way that you have chosen to parent. It, it requires so much care um, and thoughtfulness, I think. It does. It does. It's really understanding again, that whole being a steward and not an authoritarian, like it really comes from that place of, I'm just going to guide you at the end of the day. Those choices are still my children's choices. Um, um, who's to say that tomorrow Michael changes his mind and he's gone tomorrow. Will I be sad? Absolutely. I'll be sad. Will Mm -hmm. I grieve? Probably a little bit, but at the end of the day, life goes on. That was Mm -hmm. his choice to make. And I have three other wonderful children who continue, who other wonderful children, excuse me, I'm adding the other, other wonderful children um, who want to be here and be present and be loved. And I can focus my energy on that. So Mm -hmm. that's something too that I feel like a lot of parents out there who are going through a a hard time or grieving through a difficult position, um, thinking about those positives. What do I have instead of what I don't have? Um, That helps change the narrative in our brains, in our minds. Um, I will say that plenty of sunlight, we have a giant, uh, not giant, but in my kitchen, we have a very large open glass area where a lot of natural light comes in. I definitely attribute a lot of my rewiring of my brain to the amount of sunlight that I receive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, just being in the open air, being able to take and receive light, 
um, being okay with sitting you know, in the dark, alone in some areas, just to process my feelings. Um, I will say that our house is a, uh, we're a big giant Harry Potter fans in our house. And so we had a Hogwarts Christmas this year. And so um, I still have um, my mantle decorated <laughs> uh, yes. with leftover um, Hogwarts themes. We have portraits of all of our favorite um uh, favorite characters on the mantle. So if we ever need to talk, I think I've talked to Dumbledore twice. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so cool. Yeah. So we just kind of have those moments where, um, you know, we're, we're quirky and we live in our quirks and it's okay to be different. We give that open space to them, to all of our children and to myself. And I think because they see that through me, it gives them greater permission and authority and self-esteem to do it through for themselves. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the example, again, that I'm hoping to provide to my kids. They see that example through mom, then it's possible for me to do it too. It's very respectful of them as humans. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I think that was, um, and I'll give another example of that. Just, um, of course, we had a giant Harry Potter themed tree um, for Christmas and underneath is a lot of presents and we have two M's in our house, you know, a Miles and a Michael and Mm -hmm. all, there was only one level of M's underneath the tree this year Mm -hmm. and all the other, you know, there's T's for Theodore and E's for Ellington. Um, We did like kind of like the Ron sweater, you know, monogram (laughs) for, for all the gifts. And so, um, yeah, so it's our way of, you know, letting the kids know that which present is theirs without going through all the tags, even though I designed them and I like that part too. But um, <laughs> it is really cool to be able to see their bright eyes like, okay, a brother gets this and, you know, this brother gets that. And this year it was kind of a solemn like, okay, mom, you're going to divvy the gifts out this year, right? Because we don't really want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't able to gift each other the way that they normally have. That dynamic was different. And so in knowing that and then also having, you know, a 15-month-old toddler trying to open up all the gifts because he thought all of them were for himself. <laughs> um, we had to kind of, okay, this one's for you, this one's for you, and you know, kind of play a little Santa there if we needed to. But just that dynamic, you could just feel it. It was just different. Mm-hmm. But I will say it was very magical to be able to sit down as a family and just enjoy the quirkiness and the, and the fun and, you know, the geekiness that we all have, um, you know, uh, cosplay costumes that were gifted this year. There was, <laughs> um, <laughs> Blue's Clues gifts that were gifts. Everyone kind of found their spot, but in that spot, there was still emptiness because we knew that there was still a person missing that wasn't able to enjoy the things that we wanted to gift him. Mm. so there was still just a a little bit of emptiness you know sadness we're all joyful and we're so thankful for each other but there was still this element of but there's still pieces missing and so that was what um you know again I want to mirror that as much as I can to my kids that it's okay to not have it all figured out it's okay to still keep moving even though it feels like you're going backward Mm -hmm. um moments like that I think are really transparent for parents um, who are going through difficult trials in their life. Yeah. And it's, it's that lesson of holding both together. Yes. I love that. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) 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 I really like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's something too, that, you know, I've had conversations with people who 
they grieved something really early on in their lives. And some of them didn't have these conversations. They didn't get to talk to their parents about it because their parents were grieving. Mm -hmm. Um, And just that open, like we as a family are grieving this. Like we we're celebrating Christmas. There is that emptiness, but there's also this joy, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's so incredible that, even in imperfection, that that's a lesson that you're passing down. That is definitely the key for me. If I can pass down one thing, it's okay to, again, hold on to both. I really love that phrase. I totally wrote it down. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So I will finish with my favorite question to ask my guests. All right. Which is, what is something that is bringing you joy right now? Ooh, okay. Um, something that's bringing me joy, I'm going to be really, 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 really petty. It's going to be fashion, okay? So <laughs> yes. what's bringing me joy right now is um, planning. I get to plan um, now that things are kind of easing up a little bit with the world mm-hmm. pandemic in the world. Um, I get to plan things. So usually in January and February, we're ironing out our cosplay costumes for Lexington Comic Con, which Ooh. is like a really big deal around here for us, us nerdy folks. Um, yeah. So um, I absolutely love cosplay. Cosplay is a huge part of our family tradition, our lives. Um, We don't all do it, but it's something that the household itself just acknowledges and we just kind of, everyone pitches in their ideas or thoughts about something, whether they actually do it or not. It's a different story, but um, (laughs) I love the fact that my oldest son and I get to cosplay a lot and we get to walk around Comic-Con in our cool, you know, awesome costumes. I don't know if we were allowed to curse there for a second. So I was like, wait, don't say that word. Um, no, you're but, allowed to curse. It's fine. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. So <laughs> I was really excited because I was like, we get to wear these like really badass costumes and we get to get yes. this really cool stuff. And I was so proud of him for last year just because um, uh, I should preface that my I'm a special needs mom. My oldest son is autistic. And mm-hmm. so it's really cool to see him express himself through cosplay. So mm-hmm. um, he wants to be a Death Eater for this year. Um, So he's already got his wand. He's got his cloak. He's really excited about his mask this year. He hasn't bought that yet, but he's really interested in making it, which, which Mm -hmm. is all part of it. So um, yeah, those are moments we get to bond with on that level. Now uh, with Ellington, it's a much different story. So we're, (laughs) we're mostly bonded through books and cooking maybe a little bit. I've, Mm -hmm. I've stepped back from cooking and he's leaned into cooking. So um, that's been very helpful to see him kind of, run the run the kitchen be a little Mm -hmm. junior chop chef or something um it's very cool to see that kind of you know unification in the household Mm -hmm. um but these things bring me joy and i love being able to see and to to connect with them on that level that brings Mm -hmm. them joy because their joy is my joy so um i haven't yet found that necessarily with michael rageous yet and i think we'll be using the spring to kind of figure that out you know what is what is our bonds you know, what are the things that tie other than me just, you know, sap sobbing, you're so grown up and I just love <laughs> you so much. Um, things along those lines. Um, what are some other things that we can connect with as people instead of just being um, leaning on our titles, right? Mm, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's such a not leaning on our titles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're like teaching each other. That's so big. Um, maybe does he... Is he into like a certain kind of music? 
Um, yeah, he's really into trap music. He is really into um, gaming. He loves Fortnite. Um, I used to say that we're the family that Fortnite's because when it was such a big thing, when it first came out, everybody in this household was on a device <laughs> playing Fortnite. Yeah. And uh, I, I did at one point um, on my socials, like did a whole span of our house in every room, every room, <laughs> there was someone on, on, on Fortnite. It was so funny. Um, I was like, I didn't even do this on purpose. Like I didn't even tell them to like, go do this. They just naturally go do this. Um, that's calmed down quite a bit now. So now it's just him that does, um, that does most of the heavier gaming. Um, mm-hmm. my husband is also the heavy gamer and that's kind of spread like grass fire everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. but now we have kids on both devices and consoles. So it's a little bit different now. Um, yeah, I mean, just that whole, that whole space is so funny. Like, I, I, I love my quirkiness. I, I will brag just a little bit. Um, that's one of my favorite things is to kind of watch my kids be in their elements. Yeah, that's so fun. I love it. You guys must have fun. <laughs> we definitely try. If, I, if I'm not having fun with them, I'm usually, I will say, I, I kind of make fun just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because... For it depends on which child that I'm picking on, but um, <laughs> it's funny because you just see them kind of retaliate. Like, why'd you say that? Or <laughs> what was that for? <laughs> and it's just kind of one of those. I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. It's like the family roast. <laughs> uh, yes, that's it. That's it. You named it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like my my dad's side of the family is definitely like that. You go over there, you're going to get roasted. This is how it is. You have to learn how to dish it. <laughs> yes, yes. That's so funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danielle. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. I'm so grateful um, to have had you here in this space. Thank um, you. Yeah, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for the lessons you've taught me here. Oh, thank you so much. Definitely. Thank you. I'm, I'm hoping it continues to echo to so many other people that resonate with all the experiences that grief can bring. Um, and I hope it helps give hope. That's the number one thing that I'm yeah. here to share is, is hope. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So this week's Saudi Spotlight is a little bit weird, (laughs) or it might be weird to you, but I actually took a 12-week course this past year to become a death doula. If you don't know what that is, it's helping people die with grace and helping people prepare for death in the best way they can. So this week for our Saudi Spotlight, I actually wanted to address end-of-life planning and talking a little bit about life insurance, getting the documents that you need, kind of having an idea of what you want for your funeral, what you want happen to happen to your body. Um, there's tons of options out there. And I think that for people who have lost someone, if you didn't have these plans, you know how hard it was to make these decisions with family and figure out what you want to do and figure out what you want to do with their stuff and who gets what and the cost for a funeral and how expensive they are and all of these things. And um, I kind of wanted to break it down a little bit for you just from the little bit of knowledge that I have and I can pass forward a really great website that I actually use myself and my husband use is called joincake.com. So it's J O I N C A K E.com. 
And essentially what they offer is an online portal for you to kind of write down what you want to happen. They have little prompts and they ask questions like, what do you want your funeral to look like? Do you want it to be big? Do you want it to be small? Do you want it to be intimate? Do you want it to be a celebration of life? Do you want people to read poetry? What kind of music do you want played? They have things like, what do you want to happen to your social media accounts? Do you want them to be memorialized? Do you want them to be closed down? Do you want your family to have access to it so they can post things still and have access to your photos and things like that? Who do you want to have access to those things? What are your passwords? And those things are not things that we usually think of until we've lost someone. So personally for me and my husband, we kind of went through, talked a little bit about it. He was a lot more hesitant than I was because I am kind of into this kind of thing. You know, you know, you guys know me. I'm super weird. Um, I want to be as prepared as I can. And I feel like I want that little bit of control for the end of my life, even though we, no one knows when it's going to happen and no one knows how it's going to happen. But it was a little bit harder for him. And I, and I really pressed him and I really wanted to, you know, like, do you want someone to wash your body? Do you want it to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Do you want a green burial? Do you want to become human compost? Do you want aquamation? Um, And there's lots of different, like all these things are, you can look them up, but uh, it was, I feel like peace giving for us to be able to have these conversations and decide what we want. And on Cake, uh, which is the company's name, but you can upload power of attorney. You can upload things like a will and testament. Like most of this is free, but they also have like templates and things for those documents that are paid for if you choose to go that route. If you want to like draft something up separately and upload it as a PDF, you can. And then at the end of the forms, you can actually email them to whoever would need to have it. So you can send out as many emails as you want and those people can create logins and they can have access to all of these things, which is so amazing. It helps with not having to have all of these paper documents everywhere. It helps with family out of state. It helps with life insurance beneficiaries, what companies you have those policies through, all of that, which is really amazing. And it, and it kind of takes the burden off of your family for the end of your life. So that's kind of my recommendation to all of you is end of life planning. If you have any questions for me, I would love, love, love to have these conversations with you. I did train as a death doula and I am fascinated by it. And I have a lot of knowledge that I can pass along. And yeah, so that's my Sadie Spotlight end of life planning, especially if you're married, especially if you have kids, especially if you live out of state, especially if you're not really sure what tomorrow looks like which is all of us so I know that this one doesn't really match up I guess as well as some other episodes but I just wanted to share that with y'all I hope that you're having a wonderful day wherever you are I hope that you feel seen and you feel taken care of and you feel safe and if you don't I hope that you get to those places soon take care y'all